I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. Larry was a turning point in my life. Larry came to see that God justifies the ungodly. It became the center of his whole life and through Larry, mine. There's one thing he never overlooked and that was Christ saves sinners. Larry was convinced in his bones that Christianity was about Christ. I'll never be grateful enough for the message that Larry Horton left me because it was nothing less than the message of Christianity. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted as so many were during his life. In episode 18, Larry narrows in on verse 21 of chapter 3, the phrase, apart from law. He takes us back to the Old Testament and discusses Abraham as a picture of salvation. I'll talk briefly after the sermon ends, first on the sermon and second on what the podcast will look like in the coming months. Finally, you'll hear Mandolin's arrangement of To God Be the Glory at the very end. The Timeless Gospel is on YouTube. Would you be willing to subscribe and leave a comment or two on any of the episodes you found helpful? I would greatly appreciate it. You can find it on YouTube at The Timeless Gospel. And as always, you can email me at thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. That's thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over sins previously committed. And that's what we've been studying the last two weeks was the forbearance of God passing over sins, not taking them away, but just passing over them. They were covered, but they were not taken away. Verse 26, For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. How important that verse is. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. 
So since indeed God who will justify the circumcision by faith and the circumcision through faith is, is one, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Okay, now we've been leading up to this chapter, to verse 21, for since we started in Romans. I've been telling you, boy, we're going to get to the good news. Uh, and, and then the last two weeks we were in the tabernacle and uh, kind of setting up, showing a picture of salvation. And I promise you folks, we're going to get to these verses, but not today. Uh, I just have a few more things that we just must do, I feel, before we get into it. But now I'd like for you to read with me five words. Verse 21, but now apart from law. Now in the King James and also in the New American Standard, it has, but now apart from the law. A lot of times our translators, and this is a whole lesson by itself, but our, our translators put words in, little words here and there, to make it read easier for us. And this is what they've done with a def definite article, the, here. Paul does not say, but now, apart from the law, the law being the law of Moses. Paul says, but now, apart from law, apart from the law principle, the principle of law. Now, let's just stop there for a moment, and I'd like to read to you, and I'd like for you to turn there with me to Acts. Acts chapter 24. I'm going to be reading from the King James simply because I, the wording so so, uh, so beautiful. Uh, the New American Standard, uh, the meaning is exactly the same what I'm going to bring out, but I just like the King James uh, language a little bit better. Acts chapter 24. And after five days... Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. Okay, these folks have gotten Paul, these religious people. Uh, they've, they've got him uh, under custody. Now they're going to take him to the, the head man to judge him. Here comes the, the high priest with the, uh, with the elders. And verse 2, And when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee, talking about the, uh, the, the fellow that we're, uh, that's going to do the judging, we enjoy great quietness in that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Talking about the nation Israel uh, inside the Roman Empire. Uh, uh, sir, you're just so good. You're such a, a good judge. Under your leadership, uh, the nation Israel has, uh, has received peace. We live in quietness. We live in peace with you. You are a wise man. Just really buttering up, buttering him up. Here we have the, 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 the priests, the high priests, the elders, uh, the seminary uh, professors, the, uh, the deacons, the elders, uh, the preachers. Uh, all the religious uh, hierarchy is assembled against Paul. They tried to deal with him himself, and the, the Roman people came in and, and took him away from them, and so they couldn't kill him. And now they want him badly, so they're going to go the way they're supposed to through the, the government. And they've got all these religious uh, muckety-muck high big shots. And they're going to bring accusation against the Apostle Paul. Verse 3, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Boy, Felix, you are one fine fellow. Notwithstanding that I, <clears throat> that I be not further de uh, tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of the clemency of a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader 
of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple when we took and we would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain, uh, Lysias, came upon us and, and with great violence took him away from our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by ex examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, wherefore we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. All the, 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 this orator, this guy with the, with the buttery uh, words, uh, all, the, all his people, the, all these professors and, and, and everybody, all these religious uh, profound people, that guy's telling the truth. That's right. That old Paul, he's just nothing but a troublemaker. He's a pestilent fellow. He causes trouble. He goes up to the synagogue. He causes trouble. He causes trouble everywhere he goes. Verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned him to, to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Felix, you've been a judge right here for a long time, so I am real glad uh, to be able to, to argue my case before you. Because, because you're going to judge rightly. Verse 11, Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. I went up there to worship. And that neither, and, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things for they now accuse me. Felix, there's not a word of truth in what this man says. I have not been down at the First Baptist causing trouble. And I've not been in the seminaries causing trouble. I haven't caused trouble with anybody. I'm not going into the religious world and, and trying to preach and, and, and stir up dissension. I'm not a troublemaker. And, and I kind of feel the same way. I am not a troublemaker. I do not want to cause trouble. Everywhere I have ever been, except at Grace Bible Fellowship in California and Grace Church in northern part of Oklahoma City, they've accused me of being a troublemaker for 15 years. And I'm not a troublemaker. And we are assembled here this morning not to cause trouble. We're here to worship God in peace. And that's all Paul wanted. He, he just went about telling his gospel. And he was accused of being a troublemaker. And Paul says, no, Felix, I'm innocent. I do not cause trouble. Now, verse 14 is the one I want, to, want us to see. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Uh, Felix, I'm innocent of all these men say. But I'll tell you one thing. I am guilty of something. You want to charge me with that? I'll admit, I'll admit it. I'm guilty. What these people call heresy is the way that I worship my God. There is as much difference between our stand here in this little fellowship and the First Baptist Church and more that one of us is a heresy. One of these churches is preaching heresy. Or the Methodist or anyone else. The Catholics, Presbyterians, whatever. That's what Paul is saying is, is Felix, if you're going to condemn me, what these people say is heresy. That's exactly the way I worship my God. Now this morning, I want to bring up two things. I want to show you two things. And I promise you that everywhere you go in the fundamental, conservative, religious, Bible-believing churches, both of these things that I'm going to try to bring out this morning would be considered heresy.
So you're going to have to decide for yourself if, if what we're communicating here is, is heresy or not. But I promise you that the, down, down at the first church, they considered both of them to be heresy. Now the first one, I'm just going to blurt it out, try to, try to show you a little bit about it, and then we'll go on. The second one, we're going to look at Abraham's life a little bit. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at that. We're going to have a few illustrations. And, and, and then I'm going to tell you what, what the truth is. And it's the greatest news I got. It's just, it's just absolutely fabulous news. So bear with me and let's get through this. And let's see which one, see if uh, uh, Larry's up here preaching heresy. Now let's go back to, to uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 21. We're only going to look at five words. But now apart from law. But now, it's not but now apart from the law. It's but now apart from law. Salvation in pictures, the, the, the blessings of God down through the ages until this moment has been in obedience to the law of God. Everything was based on the principle of law. Now they were saved by grace through faith in the Old Testament, but it was, it was a mystery. It was, boy, it was, it was tough to see it. And, and plus, uh, their, their everyday living, their everyday experience was blessed on obedience. I got a couple of kids about as old as these boys back here. They're out there picking up sticks on the Sabbath. God says, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, that's not really a big deal. I can live with John out working on the Sabbath. If God told me not to, I, if he did that, I could live with that. But God, God couldn't live with it. He went out and zapped them, killed them both. Just like that. Just because they were trying to pick up sticks to build a fire. Okay? That, they were blessed by their obedience to the law. God says, do this and live. If you don't do this, you die. And a rich man in the Old Testament, if he was rich, it meant he was, uh, if he was a rich uh, Israelite, it meant that he had tr tremendous blessings of God. Everything was physical in the Old Testament. God didn't promise any spiritual blessings to anybody. But if you do this... I'll bless you. I'll give you, I'll give you cattle and land and all these things. But if you don't do it, boy, I'll, I'll kill you. So everything was based on obedience, obedience, trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That is pure heresy for our day. We live by faith. We do not live by obedience to law. Now, here's what they preach. And I'm not talking about bad guys. I'm, talk, I'm, talking about your right, I'm talking about right on mainstream fundamental Christianity. And see, if, I'm going to tell you what they say and see if you don't believe it or that you at least uh, think you might have believed it or something. Or see if you can see a hole in it. Here we go. God is holy and just. And he demands holiness and justice from us. But we cannot provide obedience. We cannot provide that holiness to his law. Therefore, he sent Jesus Christ, his son, down to earth and obeyed that law perfectly in our stead. And now we stand before God, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach because Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly for us. Is that not common knowledge in the church? Not a truth in that. There's not a truth in that. Jesus said that he was separate from sinners. 
When he was here on earth, that's what he preached. That he was separate from sinners. If Jesus Christ is separate from sinners, I'm in big trouble. Because I'm a sinner. Okay? How do, how do I get to God? If Christ is separate from me, how in the world can I get to God? The answer is no way, as long as he's living. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, he abideth alone. Now, we're told that, we, that we're vine in the branches and that, that we abide and he abides and we abide in one another and, and all this abiding. Well, where's all this abiding come from? If Christ said that he, he abideth alone. Jesus Christ did not come down here and obey the law perfectly for you and I. There is not one word in Scripture that tells me that I am righteous, that I have a right standing before God. Scripture always teaches that I have a right standing in Christ before God. I do not have a standing before God. The Lord Jesus Christ does. And I'm in Him, so I'm okay. But if, if, if I am saved, using that term, if I am saved because Christ obeyed the law for me, then I'm still sa saved by the law, even though Christ is the one that did it, which is contrary to, to verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God is revealed. I am not saved. I am not I'm not righteous before God because Christ obeyed the law for me. I am righteous before God because Christ was my substitute. God put him to death for me. God punished him for the sins that I commit. And now I am in the resurrected Christ. And Christianity starts, and I wish I had a microphone to blare it to the world, Christianity starts the resurrection. Well, then why did Jesus come and obey the law? Very simply. We studied it two weeks ago. We didn't get into it. But see, the sacrifice, the lamb, the Passover lamb, and the lamb in the, in, in the sacrifices had to be spotless and blameless. Had to be perfect. Because God cannot accept any kind of uh, a bad sacrifice. Jesus Christ obeyed the law of God to stand before God perfectly as a sacrifice but not for my disobedience. That's the first thing I want to bring out. We are saved apart from law. Now, can anyone give me a definition after that of, of what I might be, we might, can we put a handle on this business of law? Okay, Larry, I understand. We're, we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're not, I believe that. Well, so does most everybody else. What does it mean to not be under law? Let's see if we can at least nail this down this morning. What's the difference between someone who's under law and someone who is not, in your opinion? We're all Christians. We're all, we all worship God. We all worship Christ. We all go to church. Uh, so there's some of us that, that are under grace and some of us that we say, they're under law. What, is that? what do we mean by that one? They're under law. Some of them might be afraid to miss a church service thinking God will do something bad with Okay, okay, sure. People that think that they can help God make some better people by doing good works. Okay. They, that's, that's real good. That's real good because they're, they're you're, uh, uh, you're centering in on the good works part. That you feel that 
by God helping you or you do it yourself. However, the main point is to get to good works. And that's under law. Uh, I think a little definition I've come up with that's worked for me for several years is that law means God blesses obedience. Three words. I think that for at least for me that clears it up. God blesses obedience. We're not talking about the law. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the principle of law. And we're not saved by the principle of law. We do not live by the principle of law. If God had to wait for me to be obedient, for Him to bless me, I'd still have my first blessing to get. What we live under is grace. We'll see that eventually. We'll get into that. But God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. And as a point to that, we, def we just become obedient. You know, we just want to be. But that's all the work of God. We're sanctified by the Spirit. We're sanctified by the Word. Uh, God, we do not, uh, someone who's under law is trying to do good so that God will bless them. We all have our, our idea of what a Christian should be. Uh, and everyone in this room's got a different idea. And we try to live up to that idea. If you're trying to live up to that idea of what a Christian should be, you're under law. You're not thinking about Jesus Christ. The, the motivation of this book, the motivation of the Holy Spirit, the motivation of God Almighty is not that you should be a better person. The motivation of this book and of the Holy Spirit is to get you to trust in Christ. Well, I've, I've, I've done that. I accepted Christ as years ago as, 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 and, I, and I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm going to heaven. Well, trust in Him now. Not that he'll get you through this situation. I'm talking about when you go before God, you go before God in Christ. God cannot see you. God does not see you except in Christ. God sees you in all your sins. It's condemning you to hell. Or God sees you in Christ, period. Quick analogy and we'll go on. Let's say that uh, you wanted to borrow $10,000. You go down to the First National Bank and you want go, we're going to bypass all the, the lightweights. We're going right straight to the president. And you're going to go into his office and you're going to ask him for $10,000. And you know that he knows that last week you were caught stealing money out of his bank. Boy, would, could you look him in the eye? You know, it, it would be hard, wouldn't it, try to get a loan from that man after you'd already tried to steal money out of, out of his bank the week before. But what if you, well, the week before, had deposited $10 million into his bank? And now you're going to go in and ask for a $10,000 loan. I think you can walk in with your head up high. Most of us go to God thinking that we've done something wrong. We go to God knowing that we didn't do as good as we should. But I've learned years ago, and I'm still trying to learn the lesson. I go to God like I just deposited $10 million in the bank. There is no difference whatsoever between me and the Lord Jesus Christ before God. I don't stand before God on my own as righteous, but I stand before God totally righteous, totally righteous. Now, apart from the law, now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been manifested through the law and the prophets on a completely different situation, and that is in a man, in a person, in Jesus Christ. So, our, our sanctification, and that's what we're interested in here, our, our, our Christian walk is tied up part and partial, totally, around and through with Jesus Christ and not with what we do.
Now, when you do bad, as, as, practical, as a practical lesson, when you do bad, if you say, you know, if you think, oh, I'm doing bad and, and I don't want to do bad, boom, you're back under law. The flesh is taking over trying to live the law. But when you do bad, if you think, oh, I'm in Christ Jesus. I didn't do a thing wrong. You know, I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm perfect. I'm holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. I'm in Christ. We do not stand before God righteous. We do not have a just standing before God, but we do have a just standing in Christ before God. We'll, get, we'll move further into that as we go through Romans. Now, we looked at a picture of salvation for two weeks, a tabernacle. There are many pictures of salvation in the scriptures. Probably the best one, the, the most pronounced one, the easiest one for us to see is when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. There is a picture of salvation. Probably the clearest one in Scripture. Uh, the Good Samaritan parable is a beautiful picture of salvation. Uh, he, the guy didn't go to the hospital to get, to get help. He, the, you know, the, the Good Samaritan went right to the man, right where he was. Right where he was. And that's, 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 that's salvation. But I want to look at my favorite picture of salvation this morning and, and, and at length. And that's over in Romans chapter 4. We're going to get to there in just a couple of weeks anyway. But I want to take you all the way to the end of Romans. Let's go to verse oh, 15. Oh no, that's no good. Let's go to verse 13. For the promise to Abraham, this is so beautiful. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. Boy, there's a lot there. We'll pass it today. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is neither is there violation. For this reason it is by faith, that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promises may be certain to all the descendants. See, if, it was, if, if, if the promises of God were dependent upon anything but grace, you couldn't believe in one of them. You couldn't believe one promise. But, but, but we don't... The promises are not according to, to works or grace. The promises are according to grace. Works, works or law, but according to grace. Therefore, we can believe them. God told... The first time we see grace in the Bible is when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we think that Noah was doing something good. And therefore, God was gracious to him. But you see, God had to show grace to somebody because he had promised Eve that he was going to send through her a deliverer. Now that promise has to be maintained. If God would have go, went ahead and killed Noah as he, as he deserved with everybody else in the flood, then he had to start a whole new race. And the promise to Eve would not have come true. So Noah had to find, so God had to find someone to show grace to. So his promises could be fulfilled. So God's promises are carried out through, through grace. <clears throat> that, that, that his promises, of, in order that descendants not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's salvation. Giving life to the dead, calling into being, that which does not exist. Man can make all kinds of things, but no man has ever created one thing yet. Everything he's ever, ever made, he's made out of something. But God calls into being 
that which does not exist. Now, in verse 18, in the, now think about old Abraham. We're going to go back and look at him in a minute. In hope against hope, he believed. <laughs> about the promised son. Hope against hope. Now, remember, we're leading to another heresy here in a minute. What that means is that in hope against hope, he just didn't have any hope. Let me, let me read on, then we'll get back to that. In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. God had promised Abraham a son. Now, how in the world is Abraham going to get this son? Let's think about that a minute. Hope against hope. In other words, Abraham was brought to, a, to something he had to do that was so impossible that he had no hope at all of doing it. But he had to hope, and so he did. But he trusted in God simply because there was nowhere else to trust. Start with, was, Ab was Abraham... Let's look at Abraham's body. Was Abraham physically able to uh, have a baby? As a man. No, it's too old. Can he exercise or, or uh, uh, take a shot or, or get an operation or do something that maybe he could uh, have a baby? No. Well, what about Sarah? She's worse off than he was. She was way worse off than he was. She, her, she couldn't have a baby either. She's 100 years old. Now, the people were only living a few years older than we are today at this time. You know, It wasn't back way back whenever they was living a long time. Well, physically it can't be done. There weren't any doctors in the, in the, in the city that could perform this thing for them, was there? Okay. <clears throat> well, let's talk about uh, Abraham's uh, commitment to God. Maybe that, through the commitment of God, he, he could do something in order to provide this promised son. Uh, God would have to do a miracle, but now let's, let's look at God's commitment, to Abraham's commitment to God. God said, he went to his, he went to his, his city, where Abraham was, and he said, I'm going to call you out. By the way, guys, young people, you know, tight people, we hear a lot about the word called. We're called. We are the called out ones. Ones. We're saints. God called us. God saved us. God called us. How did God call us? I've read this Bible and others like it from cover to cover. And my name is not in it. Nowhere in scripture does it say, Larry Horton, I'm calling you. I've never heard a, a voice from heaven saying, Larry Horton, I'm calling you. And yet I maintain that I've been called. How does God call us? Paul says, through my gospel. God calls us through the gospel. Now, it's one thing to say that, that Methuselah beget Noah, and Noah beget so-and-so, and so-and-so beget so-and-so. That's the word of God in that scripture, but there's no calling there. God can't save you there. But through the gospel, through the gospels where God calls you, you believe it and you're saved. You believe it and you're saved. We are right in the dead center this morning of the gospel. 
There can be salvation here. There hasn't been a word said in this church yet that could save anybody. But now there is. We're right in the middle of where people get called. <laughs> There's an old missionary named Judson. He got, he was sent to Burma. And uh, he spent many, many years over there. Spent about 20 years over, didn't, didn't convert anybody. Married over there. Had many children over there. And during his time over there, he buried some children. God sent some, some rough times. God sent some good times. But shortly before old Judson came home, God sent great revival to Burma through the preaching ministry of Judson. Many were converted. Well, now his family's gone, his wife is dead, and the old man's just decided to come home. Going to come back home, just he's, I don't know, in his 80s. And great, tremendous man of God, great sacrifice in his living, tremendous sacrifice. So he came to the city of Chicago. And he was such a, a famous person that, uh, that they decided one Sunday night just to close the churches down. All the different churches around, they were all going to meet in one big church there in Chicago. And Judson was going to come and speak. And the senior pastor, he, he uh, assigned uh, the assistant, a young assistant pastor to, to take care of the needs of Judson. The old man, he couldn't see very well. And he needed a hotel room. He needed to be fed. And, and he just said, now, young man, I want you to, to take care of Judson while he's here in town. So the night came and, and uh, uh, one preacher got up and preached or said what a, they, they sung some hymns. One preacher got up and said what a great night it was going to be. Another preacher got up and said what a great night it was going to be. Finally, it came time for the young assistant to get up and to introduce this great man of God. So the, the assistant got up and for about 15 minutes just gave a tremendous uh, introduction to this old man, old godly man named Judson. Finally, it came time for Judson to come and speak. And he came and he spoke and he, and he preached and taught for about 30, 40 minutes on John 3, 16. Church was dismissed and they were on their way back to the hotel. Judson and this young man. And the young man was walking with his head down, wasn't talking, kicking around. Judson said, what's wrong with you, young man? So nothing. They walked a little bit further and Judson stopped and said, young man, there's something wrong with you and I want to know what it is. He said, well, I'd rather not say. He said, well, I want you to say anyway. So the young man, the young assistant pastor said, well, quite frankly, the people were let down tonight. How's that? He said, well, they were, they were wanting something exciting. They were wanting something thrilling. They wanted to hear of your adventures in Burma and all that God had done through your ministry. And you preached on John 3, 16. The old man told the little one, said, young man, I hope that I never find anything more thrilling anything more exciting than the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's kind of how I feel about where we're at right now. Uh, this is as low as I go. This, this is the bottom line, guys. This is it. This is, this is, it. Uh, this is all the truth I know. Uh, you may have heard it a thousand times, but I don't care. This, we're in the middle of the gospel here. We're seeing how people are saved. And this is just as low as this is. This is underneath it all. We can build and build and build and start a seminary and do everything else. But boy, we're right in the middle here of the most exciting thing that I know about. And I would not trade places with any living human at this moment because it's my privilege to communicate this to you. Abraham hoped against hope, 
poor old man had no way to go. He just, what's he going to do? God promised him a son, and, and I'm still not in the heresy yet. God promised him a son, and, uh, and what can he do to get it? Absolutely nothing. So hope, what does it read? In hope against hope. <laughs> Abraham believed he couldn't do anything else. He had to, didn't he? And then up here in verse, verse uh, 19, and without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. How's that going to help him? Abraham looked to his own body. I don't. I can't get there. I just it can't be. Well, I, I've got to trust God. I've, I just believe God. Now let me say this. Before I put O Abraham down, greatest picture of faith in the Bible, I think, is the is the word is the man Abraham. Great faith. Great faith. Illustrated in the fact the the greatest act of faith is illustrated in when he sacrificed his own son. The one whom God gave him. But Hebrews 11, let's turn to Hebrews 11. I want to show you something here. Show you what kind of faith he had. Now, Abraham was asked to kill his son, but it wasn't that he would sacrifice his son that was such great faith. Now that would be great faith right there. If God asked me to kill my son, I said, okay, God, I will. That's tremendous sacrifice on my part, tremendous faith on my part to believe that. But that isn't really what happened there. That isn't, that isn't what happened. Abraham had even greater faith than that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, are we there? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now God, well, and he who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So Abraham's faith was not, not that the work that he did of sacrificing his son. Abraham's faith was that he knew it didn't matter because he could go ahead and kill his son because God had already made him a promise that through Isaac, all the nations in the world would be blessed. And Isaac at that time didn't have any children. He wasn't married at that time. He was only he was 33 years old. But he, but he had no family to carry on his, to carry on his uh, posterity. Okay? But Abraham would kill Isaac knowing that God would raise him from the dead because it was in the promise. Abraham was believing that promise. And Isaac you're going to be blessed. Well, I'll just kill Isaac. It doesn't matter. God will raise him from the dead because he's got to bless me through Isaac. That's the faith of Abraham. So none of us have that. <laughs> I wished I did. Uh, believe me, I, I think the world of old father Abraham. But now let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. And we won't go to the scriptures because we're going to look through all this over a period of months. I'm, I'm accomplishing two things this morning. I'm introducing our uh, study in Abraham and the covenants, and I'm also trying to show you the picture of salvation here. Abraham contemplated his body, couldn't find a thing in it. Well, maybe his morality, maybe his commitment toward God uh, will get this baby born. God comes to Abraham in this city. Idol makers. Abraham's daddy was an idol maker. Abraham didn't know any better. There wasn't one what we would call Christian in the world at that time. But scriptures say that God called Abraham alone. He called him by himself. And he said, Abraham, I'm God. I want you to go to a land 
that I'm going to show you. And I want you to go now, and I want you to go by yourself. Abraham said, okay, God, I'll go. But he took his daddy with him. The very man that was causing his trouble in idolatry. He took his daddy with him, and he also took his nephew with him. Now that, that's going to cause him nothing but heartache down the line. Okay, well, God said, you know, God's sovereign. God's bigger than Abraham, so he's not going to put up with that. So they get off out of the city, and they go to a, a land that's called Terry. To Terry, to Terry. That's where they ended up, and they spent five years there. It wasn't where the land, it wasn't the land that God was going to show Abraham. He could have gotten there in a day and a half. But he, but he goes to a land that's called Tateri and waits five years and the father finally dies. Okay, now they go on. But he's still got Lot with him. So now that uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous uproar over Lot. Uh, God's blessing Abraham all along and the, and the, the, the sheep and, and the slaves and, and the, the servants. They get so many that they start fighting one another. So Lot and Abraham can't get along because they're both too rich. So Lot says, well, I'll just go on down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and you just stay up here in the desert, and, uh, and we'll work it that way. And Abraham says, okay. Well, because of that, he had to go collect Lot twice from, from his enemies. Lot just couldn't keep him staying in trouble, and Abraham was always bailing him out. Even before God, Abraham had to deal with him, had to Jew with him, uh, to, get, to get Lot saved from, from, the, from the, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, you come to this land I'm going to show you. And don't you go anywhere else. Well, the first thing Abraham does, he goes off down to Egypt. Things got a little rough, so off to Egypt he went. And I've, I've been to Egypt many times. That's a picture of the world in Scripture. And rather than trusting in God, he, went, he took off to Egypt. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, the Bible says that the sins of the father go, to the, go down to the second and third generation. If you figure a generation about 40 years, the sin of the father can go, go as many as a hundred generations. Because the United States of America today is getting rich on the fact, selling arms over to, to, in the Mid Middle East because Abraham went down to, to Egypt. Because when he was down there, he picked up a slave gal named Hagar. And he came back up finally to the land where God was going to show him and he had a, a child by Hagar, that slave from Egypt. And that's where we get the Arabian people today. It's from Ishmael. If, if Abraham wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have had the problem over in the Middle East looking at it from the, from the human point of view. Of course, the United States couldn't make quite as much money either. But the sin of the man has gone all the way to at least 100 generations because that took place uh, 4,000 years ago. Okay, Abraham's got a beautiful wife who happens to be his half-sister. So he ends up with a king. Now, now the, Abraham, he says, now I like, I like Sarah. I want Sarah. Now Abraham's got two choices. He can say, Sarah's my wife, and therefore the king would kill him and take Sarah. Or he can say, Sarah's my sister, which is a half-truth, and, 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 and save his life. That's the faith of Abraham. So he says, it's my wife, my, my sister Sarah. Well, God had to go bail him out of that deal. The king, king got in all kinds of trouble with God over that and gave Sarah back to Abraham. But he didn't learn his lesson. Just a little while later, the very same thing happens again. He ran into another king. He wanted Sarah. Well, she's my sister. You can have her. The, the, what a coward. 
and on and on and on we go. Was Abraham a committed Christian? Uh, did Abraham have something inside of him that would cause this baby to be born? The answer is no. See, the body was gone. The commitment was gone. There was no commitment. There was no, put any term of, of everyday language you want, the, this religious language that we live by. You put anything you want into Abraham's life and it won't get that baby born. Nothing. He's brought to the place where the only thing he can do is just hope in God and trust in God. Now the heresy. Because of, of Genesis and we, the, the, the recording that is in Genesis, I can prove this. Start with I can prove it by, by the Arabian nations today, but we'll prove it as we look in Genesis. But now get this. Get this. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. But Abraham, and here's the heresy, Abraham believed just a little bit. He just believed a little bit. He didn't have any other choice anyway because there was nothing else he could do to get this child. He'd already tried that. That didn't work. That just caused him heartache. Abraham didn't believe. You know, when he, when he, when he, when he sacrificed Isaac, Man, he believed. He knew. He, he was a godly man of faith, and he believed. And I'm longing for that kind of faith. But whenever God reckoned him as righteousness, he just believed a little bit. He tried every way he could to help God out in that situation. And God said, I'm going to give him to you. And he believed him, but he just believed him a little bit. And we're, we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. Picture from here to here. As sin, if you want to call it that, sin in your life, uh, failures in your life, uh, your inability to make the strong commitments to God, all the negative things in your life. What we have over here, we have an idol and we have lies. And the idol is called God. And the idol is called Jesus Christ. But he's not the Christ of the Bible. He's not the Christ of the Bible. He's not the God of the Bible. He's a God of our own imaginations. He's an idol. We worship him through superstition. We just put the name Jesus Christ on it. This person over here, inside the circle, is goodness. And outside the circle is sin and failure. And this person here, he's got a circle like that. And boy, they are after it. And they're working hard. And they're learning, but they're, they're, and they're studying, and they're committing. And they're committing to lies. They're committing to, to idols. And they got a little bit of sin in their life, but they got a whole bunch of goodness. And here we are over here. Boom. That's us. That's, that's our seed. That's our faith right there. But we're believing in God, and we're believing in the truth. And that'll save us, and that'll sanctify us, and that'll grow us. the discussion portion of the podcast. This time it's just me. This sermon is special to me because it reinforces the concept that no matter where you are in the Bible, you can find grace. And Larry brought that out so beautifully in every sermon that he taught. It doesn't matter where he was at in the Bible, he was talking about the grace of God. He's talking about the freedom that the Christian has 
in his or her Christian life. The very beginning of the sermon, Larry talks about how Paul is before the religious council and before a Roman official, and then Paul says, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. And I thought it was touching that Larry compared himself in a small way to Paul's plight. I don't want to cause any trouble. Sometimes when we talk about the gospel and we tell people something different than they've heard their entire lives, we're seen as troublemakers, but we're not. We're telling other people about the gospel of Christ. We're spreading the good news. And that means, first of all, that God is sovereign. God is God, and He has a people. And the God of the Bible is not incompetent or impotent or unable to save His chosen people. And secondly, the God of the Bible is one who has provided our perfection through Christ, and Christ is our sanctification. So many people will agree with you if you say Christ is our sanctification, but then you start to tell them that they're not under law, and for some reason they don't like to hear that. And they accuse us of being antinomian, which means lawless. And they think we aren't taking God seriously, and this freedom that we have is so foreign to them. It's beautiful to us, but so foreign to the world. The world, and often church-going people, equate Christianity with morality, and they equate their sanctification with a scale or a measurement, or jump high and run fast, uh, get close to God by doing X, Y, and Z, and, and if you do X, Y, and Z, then God will look upon you with favor, and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then God turns his face away from the Christian, all of which is so untrue, and as Larry has been bringing out. My favorite phrase of the sermon was, I do not have a standing before God. The Lord Jesus Christ does, and I am in Him. Our standing is in Christ. So few Christians really understand the phrase, in Christ. They don't understand the identity that they have in Christ, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We participate in that. When Christ died, we died, our flesh died, and when Christ rose, we rose in newness of life in Christ. Sometimes the tapes get cut off, sometimes the beginning, the very beginning of the sermon is heard, and then sometimes it comes in kind of weird, weird phrasing that I have to kind of um, fix. And then sometimes uh, you'll hear Larry pray, but sometimes you won't. And this particular sermon, I know that there was more to his last point because he talked about two heresies. That, and we understood from the sermon clearly the first heresy is the vicarious law keeping that Christ followed the law on his own to be the sacrifice. But we don't, we don't, that isn't part of our salvation is Christ's law keeping. It has nothing to do with us. That was clear, but the second heresy had something to do with Abraham and it had something to do with the belief that Abraham had a little bit of faith and that was enough to get him saved. But he didn't fully develop that point on the tape. He did, I'm sure, when he was there, but that part got missed. And I don't know enough to fill, in, fill it in for you, um, and that is unfortunate, but still um, a, a real blessing of a sermon nonetheless. Now, I told you in the beginning that I would be talking about the future of the podcast, so I'll do that now. We're in season one right now, and when I first started the podcast, I really didn't have a structure to it. The only thing I knew for sure is that I wanted to go through Romans, because I have 
almost every single verse of Romans on tape. And it, I just thought, what a, what a remarkable collection, a library that I have to share with the world, to share with anyone who God leads to listen. Now that I'm a little further into the podcast, I do uh, want to break it up a little bit. So we're in season one now. I will be playing two more sermons in season one. After this sermon, we'll, we'll have two more. Neither are from Romans. One of them is from 2009 because the guest that I'm inviting to come on uh, has a, an affinity for that particular time period in that particular sermon. And then the last sermon is very special and uh, powerful um, on a very personal level. And that will conclude season one. I will then be taking about a five-week break, and we will pick right back up in Romans where Larry begins to actually start teaching on Romans 3.21. And season two will be the sermons from Romans 3.21 all the way to the last verse in chapter seven. It takes Larry 18 sermons to go from 3.21 to chapter 7, I believe it's verse 25. And we might throw in a few newer sermons, I mean, from the 2009, 10, 11, in season 2 here and there. But the bulk of season 2 will be from Romans 3.21 to 7.25, salvation and what the Christian does with his sin. And then we'll take another break. That's what I'm thinking now, I don't want to predict too far into the future because I can't, I don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, that's the plan. Now, I have something special for you all during the break. The five-week break will be a chance for me to take a little break and to um, get some sermons um, produced and, and in the queue to, to move forward through season two. But sometime during that five-week break, I would like to release a best of of the guests that I had. So the best of um, conversations with all the guests from season one will be in one episode, and I'll release that sometime during the next over the next six, seven weeks or so. Please do follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. It will help more people hear these sermons and comment on any of the sermons that you found helpful. And as always, you can email me at thetimelessgospel at gmail.com. I'll play a little clip of my favorite part of the sermon we just heard, and then you'll hear mandolin play, To God Be the Glory. Paul does not say, but now, apart from the law, the law being the law of Moses. Paul says, but now, apart from law, apart from the law principle, Law means God blesses obedience. I think that, for at least for me, that clears it up. God blesses obedience. We're not talking about the law. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the principle of law. And we're not saved by the principle of law. We do not live by the principle of law. If God had to wait for me to be obedient, for Him to bless me, I'd still have my first blessing to get. What we live under is grace. We'll see that eventually. We'll get into that. But God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. 
And as a point to that, we, def we just become obedient. Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast.